We want you to become an honorary gosling. Join us. You'll get exclusive access to conversations and content that would otherwise get us banned from social media. Plus, you'll get free digital downloads of some of our books and selective writings. And check this out. You'll get to participate in our live monthly Discord chat and more if you join our exclusive Patreon following that we like to call The After Party. It only costs $5 a month, which is basically a cup of coffee, and it helps us make the show better. We love you guys and can't wait to see you there. Become an honorary Goslings at patreon.com forward slash the Goslings and sign up today. Today is August 10th, 2021. Jonathan and I follow up our wonderful conversation with John Anderson and we discuss the top 10 movies displaying Christian masculinity in their prime characters. You're really gonna like this one. You're gonna recognize some of these movies. These are some classic epic movies. I think you'll really get a lot out of this conversation. Uh, Without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Take up the broken sword of your father and strike down the darkness. Cheers. Cheers. Mmm. That's nice. Oh, what is that? That's bullet. Bullet? Yeah. That's a straight up bullet. Tried and true. Bullet bourbon that. frontier whiskey. I'm going to use the Gosling's coaster that uh, D made for us. Yeah. yeah. You find us on YouTube. You can find us on Rumble. And if you don't want to look at us, if we have faces for radio, that's what the podcast is for. That's you can right. listen to us instead on Spotify and just search the Goslings on yeah. any of those platforms. And you should be able to With find us. Two S's. With two S's. G-O-S-S. Yeah. Yeah. Because I searched the Goslings with two S's on Google. Yeah. And it brought up Gosling with one S, and it was all Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Old dreamy Ryan Gosling. (sighs) Whatever. 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 You only got one S, Ryan. My mother in law loves it. My mother in law loves Ryan Gosling. And I'm like, yeah. But he's only got one S in his name. (laughs) Subpar. It's it's a good thing you're pretty, Ryan. (laughs) Some things can be edited too much. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You can over edit. I think there is like a, uh, I think there's a band called the Goslings. Because when I look us up on YouTube, mm-hmm. I think that comes up. There might be. That uh, sounds right. I don't listen to their music because um, there can be only one and we're it. <laughs> they're so good. I don't even care one. if they're good music. I play by Highlander rules. I don't care. You know? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, it turns out like they probably are really good. <laughs> they're probably great. Ryan yeah. Gosling's a great actor. Oh, sure. Yeah. But you know what? He's not the genuine article Gosling. If yeah. you want to be, y'all, you want the real. We're the real Goslings, and we need you guys to help us yeah. uh, promote that by getting a couple Gosling shirts. Yes, Gosling shirts. You can go to you can go to uh, the Goslings.creator.spring.com as you see on your screen. Yeah, you can get these shirts. Twenty bucks. Yeah, twenty bucks on Teespring. Yeah, we got a I, bunch of designs. This one, this this particular one, you can't hack a typewriter. Yeah. I get comments on this every time I go out. Yeah, right. They're like, ooh, dude, I love your shirt. I totally agree with that. That's yeah. great. I got my hair cut today, and the lady said, I love you. Not even the lady checking me out. Yeah. Did my, but another stylist who was like, you know, down the row, yeah. she looked up. She's like, sir, I love your shirt. <laughs> I was like, I do too. <laughs> yeah. That's why I, I designed it. Yeah. Let me tell you why. Yeah. Let me tell you why. Yeah. Um, that's funny. Like, yeah. it, it says a lot to Nick's approachability. 
because Nick has a ton of those stories where he's out and about, you know, and people stop him and they're like, well, people aren't afraid to know. talk to me. I'm not threatening. I don't know. I think approachable is probably the more accurate way of putting yeah. it because I wear our shirts out and my life does not change at all. <laughs> <laughs> no one's talking to me. Yeah. No one's like, thank you. So now go away. Well, you know? I think if we were the difference, you between smelly. You and, the, <laughs> the difference between you and me is if we were cops, mm -hmm. you'd be the one catching all the bad guys. And I'd be the one they'd send in to talk to the kids. The negotiator. <laughs> At you know traumatic events, get go get Nick in there to talk to the kids. In the soft room, yeah. You know they send you into the soft room full I'm the of baby. Like... I'm the babysitter cop. I sit with the kids <laughs> until their mom can come pick them up because their dad just got hauled off and for I, a DUI. Yeah. We make you know what that'd be a good that'd be a good buddy cop movie. Yeah, good cop bad cop. Mm -hmm. for yeah. Sure. Most heroes that we've gravitated towards over the years have been have been characters that were willing to fail doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. they always came out on top because they're normally in movies. <laughs> right. You yeah. <laughs> the, and, yeah. And that's kind of what we're talking about. Who are these, you know, these characters in these movies? Because that inspires us. Yeah. That they were willing to go the distance. Yeah. For the right reason. And of course, they ended up being victorious in, in, mo in most movies. Yeah. But what if they aren't? Was it still worth it? Yeah. To them? It was. Yeah. 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 Uh, Nick. Um, Nick had a really good example of that, actually, with uh, Saving Private Ryan. Oh, Saving Private Ryan. Let's start there. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Tom Hanks's character. Um, Captain. I don't even remember his name. I don't either. Captain Tom Hanks. Captain Hanks. Hanks. <laughs> you know? Yep. But uh, but that was a character who always did the right thing especially when it was extremely difficult mm -hmm. and just about every scene, there was something extremely difficult, you know, and he could have turned away. I mean, it was just, you know, it's such a fruitless PR and, you know, mission. It's mm -hmm. like, this is, you know, and every argument along the way, I mean, it really it is a valid argument against the, the validity of the mission, mm -hmm. you know, but he stays the course and, and he does, the mission for what he thinks is right, you know, and, and who knows what his motivation is for that, whether or not, you know, he feels like he can't go home and face his wife again, if he doesn't do it that way, or, mm -hmm. or if it's, you know, a spiritual thing, uh, or if it's a patriotism thing or what, but I mean, he dies. Yeah. He, you know? Yeah. And I mean, his, you know, his last words are earn this. Yeah. Earn this. Yeah. Cause he's dying. Yeah. Yep. You know? And I mean, that's uh that's impressive. Band of Brothers is kind of like that too with uh, Captain or Major Winners. Mm -hmm. uh, Major Winners is a great example of of leadership, but Tom Hanks's character in Saving Private Ryan is a great example of like the martyr hero. Mm -hmm. You know. Yep. And um and I think that is an aspect of if not maybe the defining aspect of Christian masculinity in movies is are they willing to be a martyr? Mm -hmm. I think that's why everybody loves Luke Skywalker. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, I mean, Luke's not cool until Return of the Jedi, you know? Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, he not only surrenders, but he surrenders himself into the belly of the beast, mm -hmm. you know, to do that that Jordan Peterson thing of rescue your father from the whale, you know? And and he does. He, I, That is a classic example of what Jordan Peterson talks about with, like, a man coming into his own and saving his father from the darkness. Mm-hmm. You know, and it works out because it's Star Wars, and right, you know, yeah, like be crappy if it didn't, you know. But um, 
but I mean, he gave up his lightsaber, you know, mm-hmm. he went in alone. He didn't take any backup. He didn't have a plan, you know, <laughs> he didn't. Yeah. I mean, the first time you see it, it's like, what are you doing? And he's good. There's no exit strategy. Yeah, there's no exit strategy. Yeah. And he had a plan. You know, see, that was the genius of that movie. A lot of people don't like Return of the Jedi because they don't think it like is up to snuff with the other two. But I mean, I get it, but not really, you know, because like that movie's well crafted. The whole first act, the only reason the first act to ex- exist is to, aside from bringing Han back, you know, at a kryptonite, the whole thing with Java's palace is to show you that Luke is capable of yeah. having a yeah. successful plan. Yeah. To march into the belly of the beast, you know, mm-hmm. and that's a good point. And posture himself in a way to where he seems helpless you know, and vulnerable. And yet he's got a plan mm-hmm. that this, this crime Lord, you know, this, this crime syndicate Lord has no idea about. And he walks away with everything he wanted. The bad guy is vanquished and all of his friends are all rescued mm-hmm. and they're all good. You know, even yep. Lando. Yeah. You know, it's so, even three PO, unfortunately. And, uh, <laughs> and so, um, but, you know, then it goes on to, you know, the, the third act of the film when he's with, you know, Vader and the Emperor in, in the Death Star. And uh, and you can tell, like, the whole time he doesn't have a plan. You know, he's not even sure that his friends that he spent the whole first act saving, you know, are actually going to survive. I mean, everybody's on indoor. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I, with the exception of Lando, you know, uh, and Wedge, but like his sister, you know, his astromech, you know, his buddy, his buddy's Bigfoot dog, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, they're, they're all down there and the cause is down there. Right. So, you know, so he's just totally throwing every bit of his hope yeah. into, not even into his ability to change his father, but his father's ability, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and like, that's why the old versions of that movie before, before Lucas like added in the no thing that Vader does when he picks up the emperor, you know, yeah, yeah. like it's so much more powerful without the audio cue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when we, cause you, you see Vader looking at the emperor who's standing beside him, electrocuting Luke, you know, or force lightning Luke. And then you look and then he turns and he looks at Luke who's being, you know, executed. Yeah. Pummeled with the force lightning, you know, and you see the torment, even though it's a static, it's a Dude, mask. It's a mask and you can still see it. Yeah. you. It's and, a powerful moment. Oh, it's so powerful. And he, and he makes the right call, you know, and he, and he redeems everything. I mean that, you know, now the irony is the death star still would have blown up because wedge Antilles is awesome. Yeah. It's <laughs> so, a good shot. Yeah. There's, there's a reason why wedge is my favorite character. Um, but, but Luke, you know, put, everything all he had he sacrificed all his power and his father even tempts him mm-hmm. with his own power by trying to get leia to you know or using leia as like the the chip to tip mm-hmm. the balance mm-hmm. and tip luke over to the dark side and he refuses he'd save her away you know if I luke hadn't gone like into the death before star, me would they know? have would they have been successful if luke hadn't gone to know. confront his father yeah i don't know um Vader maybe would have sensed that, you know, you'd think the Emperor Vader would have sensed that Luke is, you know, planning on 
once again yeah. flying his X-Wing. <laughs> right. You know, he's here. Yeah. Vader's like, he knows he's here. All right, get to the TIE Fighters. Yeah. You know, but maybe Luke's distraction yeah. was enough to... I think so. I think that's a good way of putting it, the distraction. Yeah. yeah. And marching headlong and bold-faced into the throne room of the enemy. Mm -hmm. As opposed to existing on the outskirts with maybe a, a shred of timidity and fear, mm. you know, trying to do another Death Star trench mm -hmm. run, you know, or flying into the superstructure, because then Vader might have scrambled, you know, again and gone out to fight him again. Yeah. You know, and maybe he would have won. Yeah. Best starfighter pilot in the galaxy. Mm -hmm. So and he doesn't have Han Solo to surprise him out of nowhere this time. Mm -hmm. You know, so, yeah, I mean, if he didn't do what he did, which is March right to the heart of the enemy stab the heart in the or stab the bear in the heart before the bear can you know get its claws around you uh then yeah it wouldn't have worked you know and mm -hmm. and i mean that's total sacrifice that's being willing to throw it all on the line in a movie that is you know in a lot of ways like kind of luciferian or at least not like christian in its overtones it's got a lot of you know hegelian dialectic light versus dark and you know yeah, it's yeah. got all this stuff but whatever like <clears throat> it's still it's still that same story, you know? And mm -hmm. I think you can, one thing that I think you can kind of do is like turn the cannons on the enemy in a weird way. I mean, it, it might be dangerous to do it, but you can like take stuff that is non-Christian and extrapolate Christian themes from it. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I see that all the time. That's the reason why uh, my number one pick for this is uh, the 13th warrior. Yep. I love the 13th warrior. The 13th warrior is a brilliant movie. Uh, the script is amazing. Music's incredible. Um, everybody should watch the 13th Warrior. It's it's killer. And uh, and that whole movie is about a guy. Um, it, it's very Pressfieldian, actually, in its story structure or in its uh, in its point of view, because the same kind of thing. And it came out around the same time as Gates of Fires released the same year in 99. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's really funny. Uh, I was thinking about that earlier today <clears throat> um, because Stephen Pressfield in Gates of Fire, Tides of War. Uh, and the Afghan campaign, um, and I think also Last of the Amazons, did the same point of view thing that uh, that the 13th Warrior kind of did, where it's you see the whole story through like a fairly ineffectual character's eyes. And the heroes of the story are not the narrator. You know, they're not the main guy who's mm -hmm. telling the story yeah. or involved in the story. He's just kind of almost like a chronicler of the story, mm -hmm. you know? Now, the main character goes on a hero's journey in the 13th Warrior, but the only reason he really does is because, you know, he starts off as this very craven, uh, adulterous, you know, philanderer who um, gets punished and gets banished. And in his banishment, in his lowest moment as an ambassador, quote unquote, mm -hmm. to these Northmen gets caught up in this Beowulf like struggle with these Vikings and uh, and through, you know, this is a Muslim caught up with a bunch of pagan, you know, Vikings. Yeah. And like through his time with them, he learns how to be a man. Yeah. Fear profits man. Nothing. You know, the old father wove your skein a long time ago, you know um you know i cannot lift this grow stronger you know <laughs> um you know you can you can draw sounds yes and i can speak them back show me you know like all of these awesome lessons about strength and bullvi. becoming powerful yeah bullvi bullvi baby. was the bullvi's the, the hero yeah like he's, he's the, the killer of the of the movie you know and and um yeah it's just uh it's a great 
it's a great treatise on uh or treaties on um what godly masculinity looks like and even the end of the movie the narration from antonio banderas's character mm -hmm. uh after his transformation after he you know the the seminal moment is when they all participate in the viking prayer at the end it's yeah. like the endless horde of bad guys are coming at yeah. them and they accept yeah. their fate and they're gonna face it bravely you know mm -hmm. and, um and he even says at the end of the movie when it's all over as a coda that uh that uh, pagan men in um, in strange lands, you know, taught, you know, me or one man how to be a useful servant of God, mm, you know? Yeah. And it's like through living with these other guys and seeing how strong masculinity and, and in a weird way, faithful masculinity looks like, mm -hmm. you know, he was able to develop and come back a useful servant of God mm -hmm. and not just some craven little self-serving weasel. Yeah. You know, this whiny little worm, you know, <laughs> so because he starts off pretty soft. Oh, he's soft, dude. He's soft. He's sleeping with other men's wives. You know, he's banished. He's whiny. You know, he uh, he's persnickety, you know, and uh, and they teach him like to like let go of that and stop yeah. focusing on yourself. I mean, one of the most one of the most disgusting things in the world is to tell stories of how awesome you are mm. tooting your own horn you know, shows how insecure you are. And it's like you almost just but you also don't want to tell stories that are self-deprecating of how stupid you are either. You know, it's almost like maybe God doesn't want you to tell stories about yourself at all. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to tell a story as a joke, you know, mm -hmm. but like maybe if you're going to tell a story about somebody being awesome, how about you like tell a story about somebody else being awesome? Get outside your own ego, yeah. I guess is the point, yeah. You know, and, and that's kind of what it taught him. I I'd like to talk to Pressfield about that. I don't even know if he's ever seen that movie, but I bet he has. Oh, surely, yeah, yeah, surely he's seen it. Yeah. Anyways, so that's that's one of mine. Um, and then uh, I had one uh, Master and Commander. Oh yeah, Master Lucky and Commander. Jack. Lucky Jack, baby. Yeah, Captain Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Not Jack Sparrow. No. Jack, Jack Aubrey. Aubrey. Yeah. I don't want to say O'Brien. Jack Aubrey. Well, uh, O'Brien is the author of the books? Is that I right? think so, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. where it is. Patrick O'Brien. What is Patrick O'Brien. Yeah. What is it about uh, Jack Aubrey that you like? I like that his uh, the respect of his man, the respect of his men has been earned yeah. with a life of service and good leadership. Yeah. Uh, I like that he is the one who represents... Uh, order, yeah, and even when they're completely outmatched, his men are so confident, yeah, in his ability and their uh, they have this identity like because we have Lucky Jack, yeah, we have the trump card, yeah, we got a chance. He's gonna get us out of this, yeah. This man's gonna get all of us glory, <laughs> yeah. You and know? if and if I die during this, it's not Jack's fault. You know? Yeah, I yeah. mean, because because they do they lose if you've never seen Master and Commander. I mean, most people have, but it's still, you know, you should watch Master and Commander if you've never seen it. It's an awesome movie. It's about three Patrick O'Brien books rolled into I one. So, yeah. sort of. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> But they did a really good job of it. Um, And yeah, all the characters, you know, he loses buddies yeah. along the way. Yeah, he does. You know, but no one blames him for it. No one gets mad at him. So you got to think like, I wonder what those guys were thinking in the last moments. Probably, oh, I screwed up, you know, mm -hmm. 
or like, oh man, I won't be there when Jack. Well, I love that he has accountability. Like he feels responsible for every single thing that happens, yeah. including you know the boy who gets his arm amputated. Oh yeah, that's you right. Know? And uh, which, which is a you know just awful thing to have to. Exp- yeah. I'm you know what even a even Lord watch. Nelson, that kid is. Yeah, yeah no yeah. kidding, really. And then yeah. you you see when uh, after that battle, the boy's arm is amputated, and Jack comes down to visit him. Yeah, and. Uh, He's trying to hold it together. You can tell there's a lump in his throat, and he yeah. feels awful for this boy. But he's trying. But he's still treating the boy like a man. Yeah. yeah. And when he walks away, he says to his doctor friend, "He mm-hmm. goes, I'm gonna have to explain this to his mother." Yeah. You know, like he can see that in the future, he's responsible that yeah that this boy's arm got amputated. Yeah. yeah. So, and he feels that that level of responsibility for everyone on board, including. The lieutenant. Yeah, we were talking about this at dinner. Yeah, yeah. who who decides that he'd rather um, try to gain the the favor and camaraderie yeah, of camaraderie. of the crew. Yeah, the conscripted crew. Yeah, then to the service. Yeah, yeah, as as opposed to doing his fulfilling his role as an officer and being a leader, he wanted to be. He want he was more interested in being their friend yeah. than being their leader, and they needed a leader because he had a bad reputation for having other gunnery crews die on him in the past, where he was the only one left alive. So mm-hmm. he was like the opposite of Jack Aubrey. Yeah, he was unlucky lieutenant. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And the crew didn't like him, and uh, so he was already at a social deficit. And instead of trying to increase his reputation by being a good lieutenant Mm -hmm. he instead tried to increase his reputation by ingratiating himself sycophantically almost to people by and crossing a societal boundary with the singing Mm -hmm. you know and jack is so patient with him yeah he is so patient with him the the opening scene is that lieutenant peering through his looking glass through the fog and they see he think he sees in the fog what he thinks yeah. is a ship but then it disappears and he's not quite sure yeah. and you see this this lack of confidence yeah like do we beat to quarters do we not beat to quarters i don't know he calls over his other his peer yeah the other lieutenant mm-hmm. he says i think i saw a ship yeah are you sure i don't know yeah. and so the other lieutenant's like we're not taking any chances and he calls the order out beat to quarters yeah and jack comes out and uh, he looks into the fog, and uh, the guys, you know, the lieutenant's like he feels bad because he thinks he made a bad call, false he's alarm. Looking inward at himself. Yeah, the whole the whole movie, he's looking inward. Yeah, you know, and um, he was afraid of calling a false alarm because he didn't want the disapproval yeah. of leadership. Yep. And the rest of the movie, he's trying to gain the approval of, you know, the people he leads. Yeah. And uh, he just he just struggles with that. And even through all of that, Jack is trying to say, "This is what you need to do to be a leader. Yeah, the men need to respect you, not like you. Yeah, you need to, you know." And and the, he just doesn't get. It. He's just not getting it. He can't yeah. allow himself to absorb that and stop, you know, focusing on his own whatever his own luck. need for validation. He needs yes. He needs deep, to, deep insecurity. Dude, do not be a leader if you need validation. Yeah. Because you ain't going to get it from above, and you're not going to get it from below. Yeah. Set your eyes like oh, flint on the man. objective, and people will follow you or they won't. You know? you know, I, I, you know, I tell my kids, I will tell them both 
at the same time, I want you guys to do X. Yeah. You know, clean the kitchen. Yeah. Well, who's going to, if I, do you want me to load or do you want me to unload or do you want me to like wipe the tables down or even, you know, and then even may do the other things do you want me, you know, I'm like, I don't care. I just don't want to hear any arguing and I want to get, to get done. Yeah. Whoever's yeah. in charge <laughs> of making sure the other person is pulling their weight and gets it done. Yeah. That's all I care about is that it's done. I don't care who does it, but yeah. you both need to work at it. And I just want it done, you know, and like Patton was, that was his thing. A leader doesn't care about credit. Yeah. A leader does not care about credit. All leader cares about is getting the job done yeah. regardless of who does it. And then after the fact, if there's recognition for the job getting done, the leader points to the people yeah. he led. He yeah. doesn't take the credit. No. It's not for him to take. No. It's... He got the job done. <clears throat> yeah. This is the lead man right here. What's well, that, uh, that phrase? Alphas eat first, leaders eat last. Because the court. If at all. Yeah, if at all. I mean, truly, the core tenet of a leader is uh, of leadership is sacrifice. The core tenet of leadership is sacrifice, especially Christian leadership, Christian yeah. masculinity. I think that's why I always loved uh, Gates of Fire so much, mm. because Leonidas, and it's it's even there in the movie Three Hundred, um, despite my misgivings <laughs> for Three Hundred, yeah, because it's not Gates of Fire, right? Um, Which is its. Well, the first of its many flaws. That's its biggest one. That's its biggest is one. That that's it's not Gates of Fire. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the rest are just, uh, what, plenary indulgences, you know? <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that is that is the uh, the stark dichotomy between, and it is in the movie, between Leonidas and Xerxes. It is, you know, Xerxes adorns himself with the finest livery and, you know, lives the most opulent lifestyle possible, while sending his hordes of enslaved masses to their doom, uncaring of the you know mountains of bodies mm -hmm. of his own men that uh, that his throne has to be carried over into new territory. Mm -hmm. Leonidas, on the other hand, is there on the front lines, you know, with his own men. I mean, there's a brilliant part in Gates of Fire where uh, <laughs> where it's it's comical, um, where all the men are the Greeks. So the Spartans show up and there are already a bunch of Greeks there. <clears throat> the book represents this, but the reality is there really were about 6,000 Greeks, 6,000 Greek hoplites who mm -hmm. defended uh, the hot gates. Uh, the Spartans were just some of the ones, but the Spartans gained, you know, leadership of the battle plan and everything. So the Spartans show up <clears throat> and, uh, and the, the Thebans are there, you know, and the Arcadians are there and they're all squabbling because they're Greeks, you know, and no one argues like a Greek. You know, and they're all just, you know, over where to place the Phokian wall, the stone wall, mm -hmm. you know, and everybody's like drawing diagrams, you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. arguing and pointing, you know, and here comes Leonidas, doesn't say a word, picks up a stone and just sets it down. Yeah. And then turns around, goes over, picks up another stone and walks back, sets it next to the first one. And just starts building, and one by one, everybody just falls in line, mm -hmm. you know. And I it, love that. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's I such a great. I mean, uh, there's a reason why. Like that's my favorite yeah. book, and why ah, Crestfield is my favorite author because there's just uh, so many like just red meat moments for your yeah. soul, you yeah. Know, as, a, as a Christian and as a man, you know that like those are awesome moments because you will you will get this you will get this tail chasing whirlwind of indecision as everybody invests their ego into what to do and clocks ticking. Yeah. 
clock's ticking yep. and you know a mil two million men are marching on you yeah an unstoppable force is marching on you and you better figure something out mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be like that's why i always say like the train keeps moving it's like perfection is the enemy of progress and if you are sitting around waiting for it to be perfect you will you will die before mm -hmm. it's done mm -hmm. you know like just even mm -hmm. if it's flawed or maybe even before it starts or yeah and it'll yeah it'll never even get started mm -hmm. you know just pick up a rock and put it down somewhere amen is it the best place to put it nope probably not <laughs> so what you know where you know where the worst place to put it is to leave it where it was right so <laughs> that's right so just pick up a rock and go put yeah. it somewhere yeah because you know half a plan is better than no plan yeah that's right you know? and somebody's got to do it and you know and you might be the leader with the vision you know with like you know the perfect vision of how this strategy can work you know or you might just be somebody who looks at this and says like dude i don't know but something's got to get done Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, clock's ticking. Yeah. So let's just do it. Yeah. You know, so, I got another movie for you. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm you got going back like 89 or 90. Nice. The Untouchables. The oh, Untouchables. The Untouchables. Yeah. OK. And Elliot Ness, obviously, mm -hmm. is the is the uh, the model in that movie uh, for yeah. two reasons. I think for two reasons. One, the scene on the bridge where he's in this new role and he's losing. He keeps losing. Oh yeah, and he's on this bridge, and uh, Sean Connery's a night watch. Where he first meets, yeah, Sean Connery, yeah, and Sean Connery comes up to him and he asks him what's wrong, and he's like, "I just, he goes, I can't stand this town, you know, <laughs> I, you know, nothing has seemed to do. It's like the, they, they're just getting away with everything. <clears throat> yeah. We can't catch him. We can't stop him. And and I I know you like this part. Sean yeah. Connery says you can't basically is if. Do it in Sean Connery's accent. He goes, if they, uh, <laughs> Nick does if they her. bring a knife, oh, you yeah. bring a gun. Yeah. That's the Chicago way. Yeah. They put one of yours in the hospital. You, you put, put one, one of theirs, theirs in, in the, the morgue. morgue. That's the That's Chicago, Chicago way. <laughs> so I love that moment where yeah. the leader, the hero, realizes he's going to have to go hard. Yeah. yeah. If he's going to get this done. If he's going to fulfill his commission, <clears throat> he's yeah. going to have to go hard. He's going to have to go as hard, if not harder, yeah. than the enemy. Commit your whole force. Do yep. not be timid. Do not hold back. Yep. And yeah. that's the first. That's the first part where you're like, okay, this is real. Yeah. He really has to commit to this. Yeah. And, <coughs> and he does. <coughs> and now and the, the game's one, afoot. Yeah. And then the second part is where, uh, and it may have happened earlier in the movie, but when he first takes over his post. And obviously, this is during Prohibition. He said he's in the room talking to all the cops, and he mm -hmm. said, uh, "He goes, I know many of you drink. Oh yeah, but as of right now, <clears throat> you all quit. Yeah, because if we're going to enforce the law, we are going to do so by example. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, it's like yes. Yeah. I see every time I see a cop speeding. Yeah, I always think I remember the scene in that movie. Mm -hmm. That really stinks. Yeah, like your lights aren't on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're going 10, 15 miles Dude, over I know. in a neighborhood. I, I wrestle with that all the time because I have I have cop friends and former cop friends. And it's like, like bro, you know, and on. by the way, we're saying this obviously not fans of prohibition. No, clearly <laughs> so, not. You know, as we're drinking our bullet, uh, our second round for the evening, yeah. you know, um, but 
you know, that is uh that is a big thing of like, you know, you have to lead by example. And if you're going to ruin somebody else's life, you know, uh, with a ticket or with an arrest, then you can't do it either. That's there's that's, never been a more sensitive time than right now because we have an entire administration of quote unquote leaders. Oh, they're total hypocrites. Yeah. Yeah. Six hundred dollars to do as they say, but yeah. they blatantly publicly do the opposite yeah they completely they don't. flagrantly disregard their they don't live by their own standards oh it's you know it's like it's like people say man you know if the left didn't have double standards they wouldn't have any standards at all yeah it's you know, you know hypocrisy <clears throat> yeah. is the uh it's it, 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 it is the hallmark of being a democrat it'll destroy <laughs> That too. It it there's you can't be a leader and be a hypocrite. Period. You can't. Yeah, you won't. You won't have anybody to lead if you're lucky enough to still be alive. Yeah. You know, um, that's why. Uh, that's why I really like that movie, uh, Copland, mm. with uh, Sylvester Stallone, and it's got a killer cast. Heard of it? I never saw it. It's really good. It's really really good. Now, it came out. It came out in a time in the 90s, shortly after the Rodney King rise. It was kind of like an anti-cop movie in a lot of ways because it's about a, a sheriff, a very like ineffectual uh, sheriff <clears throat> who has to sort of fight corrupt cops or whatever. And um, so I, I get why like a lot of cops don't like it, you know, beca because of the political context mm -hmm. of the time it came out. Mm -hmm. It was released, but taken on its own merits and, and not having seen it till like maybe two years ago. Uh, I was really amazed by it. And the writer of the movie, uh, I heard him in an interview talk about how uh, he actually, he grew up loving Westerns. And he actually hmm. wanted to write a Western, but he grew up in Jersey, which is, I believe, where Copland is based. And so he had no, he had no concept of like what Western life was like. Hmm. So he took everything he wanted to do with a Western and he just, put it into modern day cool new jersey and new york cool you know very cool yeah copland uh sylvester stallone harvey keitel uh robert patrick um michael rapaport um and then janine garofalo and um uh oh man who's the guy from uh who's the main guy from goodfellas um robert nero no uh ray liotta ray liotta yeah. ray liotta's in it yeah. Yep. So, yeah, which is interesting. You think about all those mob movies. Yeah. None of them are a good example of Christian masculinity. <laughs> no. not, not a single uh, one. Yeah. With the exception, with the exception of uh, a Bronx tale. Oh, yeah. Which is a great movie. That it's is, got Chaz yeah. Palminteri. It's got Robert De Niro and the kid. Yeah. Robert De Niro plays the kid's dad. Yeah. He's the only guy in the movie. Great who, man. Who's, right? He's the hero. He's yeah. the real hero. He's the real hero of the movie. They want right. you to think that Chess Palminteri, the mob boss, is yeah, the hero. Because he's, he's trying to steer this kid man. in a good direction. He's like a devil. He comes to you in a suit with all this mm -hmm. But the dad, promise. the yeah. bus driver, poor dad, trying to keep his son from going into Humble, the mob. honest, living dad. He busts into the restaurant and yeah. marches up to the mob boss's table and says, stay away from my son. And they start roughing him up a little bit. Yeah. He says, stay away from my son. Yeah. That's the hero. That's the hero of the movie. Baby. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like the only like the only moment in any mom movie where like a decent person with character stands up to the <laughs> right, mom yeah, yeah, the and mom. gets away with it and gets away with it, right, yeah, yeah, yeah it doesn't. And happen. he didn't care. He knew they could kill him. He even <clears> says, <throat> "I know you could kill me." He goes, "You know, I don't mean disrespect, but stay the hell away from my son." You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and it, you know, it was. I think that was a good. That was a good moment. Well, that's a, that's a Luke Skywalker moment. That's another Return of the Jedi moment. 
Except reverse. going into the so, belly of the beast. Yeah. Yeah. Going into the belly of the beast instead of saving your father, he's saving his son. Mm-hmm. But it's that same, it's that same Christian martyrdom of the saints sort of thing mm-hmm. of like being willing to. And his son ends up making the decision. Yeah. To save himself. Yeah. Yeah. Despite a lot of the good things that the mob boss, you know, taught him along. Yeah. The way. You yeah. Know? I mean, that's, yeah. Bronx Tale is an amazing, but man, it's been forever since I've seen that. Yeah. It's a good one. I think I was like, I think you were at, you were in Lee when I saw that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Forever ago. 20 years ago, Gosh. 20 plus years ago, man. Yeah. That's a, that's another really good one. Um, I have a couple, I mean, I got, I mean, yeah. What else a couple got? obvious ones. Okay. We're down to like, we only need three more to hit 10. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's talk about the Patriot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. you want to talk about masculine Christianity or Christian yeah. masculinity, however you want to put it. Well, very prescient. Very, uh, topical. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I better, I'm going to write down the timestamp for this one. Uh, <laughs> right. In the this Patriot. Special editing on this. <laughs> um, well, okay. Since, uh, since it was your, I have my own thoughts on this, but you go ahead since it was your, uh, since you keyed it up. Well, <clears throat> there's the line that you've been hearing a lot of lately, you know, good men willing to do bad things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hero is a character who did bad things. Yeah. And was trying to live a life worthy of redemption, you know, as kind of penance, trying to live a good life, yeah. trying to create something Say He was reluctant. He did not want to get into the action. He did not want to get into the war. He knew what war was. He didn't want to expose his family to that. He didn't want to participate yeah. that, uh, participate in that. And then they shot his kid. Yeah. Yeah. And he realized that all of the things that he saw and learned and experienced could be turned to use for a, a righteous cause. Yeah. And uh, and he does that. And what's interesting about his character is that he takes one of his sons with him into that fight who was ready. Oh, yeah. And Heath Ledger. Mm-hmm. And uh, Heath Ledger is kind of the best example of all the people that end up following Mel Gibson's Mel Gibson's character. Heath Ledger is like the best example of how to follow. Yeah. And becomes a leader in his own right in the, in the movie, Yeah, you know, but, um, but I think, uh, and, and, you know, Mel Gibson was under the leadership of uh, one of the colonels, one of the um, colonial colonels. Sam Uh, Houston. No, I, I can't remember the actor's name. Uh, but he, you know, Mel Gibson's cohort of mm-hmm. guerrilla mercenaries, yeah. not mercenaries, guerrilla fighters, soldiers, yeah. uh, Miniman, if you want to call them that, yeah, you know, Miniman. answered to a, this particular colonel. Yeah. Can't remember his name. But I can um, picture him in my head. Yeah. But he yeah. wasn't the thing that the Revolutionary War didn't revolve around Mel Gibson's character. Right. He wasn't the savior of America. He just had his special thing that he was doing with the people who trusted him and followed him and they were effective yeah uh but still he would answer to a higher authority i think it's interesting i think it's a good example of you know when you're a leader you have to learn you you have to be a follower yes you have to be a follower yeah being a leader first requires learning how to follow absolutely you know you gotta Um, start and learn every little thing yeah. and get all that experience under your belt. If yeah. you're born in a position of leadership and you just live there all your life, yeah. you will be a dictator. That's what we see yeah, in Washington dictator. right now. Yep. 
you know, we have people who are born into privilege, born into, um, they're born into easy access into government and political office. Mm -hmm. And they get there and they've never been the working man. Yeah. You know, they've never been the soldier community organizer. They've been politicians. Exactly. 50 year politicians. Catching grants left and right. Catching kickbacks. Never had to struggle. Trying to make you trying to make the ends meet at the end of the month. They have no they have no idea. They're so detached. What features to not have on your car because you can't afford them because you know you're going to have to pay for it for the next seven years. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to sacrifice at a job that you maybe hate, you know, or. Or maybe it just exhausts you, or or you have to get a second job, even mm-hmm. if you like your first job, just to just to pay off the car. So don't you take know? your jacket off and roll your sleeves up a couple, you roll your cuffs up a couple <laughs> yeah. of turns, and think that oh, he's a working man, he gets me. Oh, my favorite, please. My favorite just mm, <laughs> example of that was when uh, was when Biden was on um, uh, the campaign trail. He went on that steelworkers plant, right? The steelworkers plant. Yeah, and or or coal, steel or coal. One of the two. I think it was a steel plant. I I might be wrong. I think um, I know what you're talking about. Whatever it was, I mean, it was like hard hat, blue yeah. collar, you know, uh, micro dirty jobs kind of yeah, yeah. kind of gig. And uh, but it's, it's like know. it was like a union rally. Yeah, yeah, bunch of union guys. And uh, possibly even wasn't it in his home state or was it somewhere in like the Midwest? Nah, like his home state's belt? Delaware. Nobody lives in Delaware. <laughs> Delaware's not real. Delaware sucks. It's like uh, it's like Hobbs End from uh, In the Mouth of Madness. It's a, it's just a fictional place that exists in a pocket universe. That people, people only start corporations. <laughs> it only exists on paper. <laughs> yeah, corporate territory. Um, but yeah, that one guy came up to him, you know, and and challenged him on, uh, and he was a, he was shorter than, and he's like my height, you know, and challenged him on uh, AR-15s and the Second Amendment. And Biden starts pointing his finger and talking down to him, you know, and and at one point it was like, you want to step outside, you know, and oh, I mean, if only I thought it was the one where Biden says, I don't work for you. It is. Is that the one? It's the same one. Yeah. Yeah. He's I don't. Biden says that as he's campaigning. I don't work. I don't work for you. Yeah. Then who do you work for, buddy? Yeah. Who who is it? Who do you work for? Yeah. 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 Uh, You oh the CCP. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. Jinping, yeah, Ping or whatever his yeah, name is. You, yeah, uh huh. So I mean, it's just the the disconnect, you know. Um, oh yeah, man, it's, it's disgusting and it's awful. I uh, I have very mixed feelings about the Patriot because on one hand, I love that movie. On the other hand, I'm a big fan of. Uh, there's a YouTube channel. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know if I ever told you about it called History Buffs. Um, History Buffs is arguably the greatest YouTube channel <laughs> on mm, okay. on the besides internet. the Goslings, besides the Goslings, uh, and besides uh, Adam Burrow's channel. Um, then, oh yeah, yeah. Then the History Buffs uh, is um, I think it's just History Buffs, uh, English guy, and he dissects uh, uh, historical movies. So everything from you know Waterloo to Braveheart, The Patriot, Three Musketeers. You know, whatever. He just goes, you know, Saving Private Ryan, um, you know, uh, A Bridge Too Far, um, you know, We Were Soldiers, yeah, everything. And it's an awesome channel. And uh, and he like he just rips the Patriot and you. I mean, he's coming at it from a historical accuracy perspective. Sure, sure. And sure. he under but he's really cool because he really understands that like uh, and it's really on display with 300. He really sort of lays out. You know, his philosophy, which is 
you it doesn't have to slavishly be historically accurate but if it doesn't make the story better be historically accurate you know so like actually like the patriot and braveheart both kind of he kind of rips him a new one. Kind of air on that. Yeah, he rips him a new one for kind of taking, uh, you know, creative oh, license. part was my next movie. You know, I know, but I mean that. But that's the thing. Like you love those movies, despite that. Mm-hmm. You know, I. I mean, and I'm a big fan of that channel. I don't think he's wrong. I'm saying he's right, and I still dig that movie. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Now, I I take can I take issue with Mel Gibson's position because in that movie he is so he's convicted not to go to war and because of that he does what i think a lot of the middle class in america are doing which is we're going to wait until we are so far behind the power curve that most of our children are going to be dead before we do anything and my, that is my point my bone of contention with his character in the movie is i think he lets the enemy get all the way up to his front door. Yeah, and you know, kill some of his kids before he actually does anything about it. And um, you know, it didn't have to be that way. Uh, I still really like his character. I, I actually, and I have a real soft spot for that movie because I met the guy a couple times. He used to come to one of the gun shops I worked at, who did all of the uh, tomahawk choreography. Oh, cool! And training. Nice. He he lives here in Tennessee. I can't remember his name. Uh, Dave could tell me his name uh david star uh because I, I i had him autograph a box of 4570 oh, nice. for his okay. birthday one year cool but uh, he used to come in every time and he looks like somebody off the set of the patriot he also talked daniel date he's got like white hair and the ponytail he looks like a founding father okay you know it's really awesome and he teaches a class at one of the universities about uh about you know the early american history and um i think like daniel boone or david crockett some stuff cool like that fascinating dude oh, man, nice. but he um he was training mel gibson how to use the tomahawk and he actually and i think maybe just small arms in general because the line aim small miss small was not in the script i remember hearing that he tells that to his son when they when he first after after they kill his kid yeah. he grabs his two young boys yeah and they dash off to, to go rescue heath ledger yeah to chase the enemy and rescue heath ledger yeah and he hands his rifle to his little son yeah Ames, remember what i told you aim small miss small <laughs> yeah so and, and the muskets twice as long as the kid is tall <laughs> i know right yeah nathan i think in the nathan and thomas were the kids yeah names. nathan and thomas good names yeah 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 and I, but solid christian name solid christian yeah. good yeah good new testament name there um <laughs> but uh but that line uh came about because uh this guy my buddy I, say my buddy i wish i could remember his name it's been so long since i've talked to him um he uh he was training mel gibson how to use this stuff and he told him you know well aim small miss small and mel gibson liked that line so much that he put it in the movie i love that uh, dude is super cool i'll find out his name and then you know we'll i'll mention it next time or something ah, but so uh, he also taught uh daniel day lewis and everybody else how to fight in the last of the Mohicans. last of the mohicans yeah Ooh, man I dude's the cool movie again. yeah you know it was funny uh um uh, last week i was working from home mm-hmm and while I was in here working, my wife had two other homeschool moms and all their kids in our living room, and they were doing like a kind of a joint class together. Well, I got done with a call. I went inside to get some water. Yeah. And fill up my water glass, and I'm coming back into the garage. And all, you know, Rihanna and one of the moms chatting, the kids are talking, and the other mom is not part of the conversation. She's sitting, just kind of sitting on the chair, and she's whistling. 
Yeah. But she's whistling the theme to Last of the Mohicans. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she's whistling it. And I stop. Oh, that's and like I turn around for girls. And my face yeah. just like gets dead serious. And I point at her. <laughs> and, I, and all I say I is, find you. Last of the Mohicans. <laughs> that's the only thing I said. And she stopped whistling. She smiled. And I said, it's a great movie start whistling again and i walked back into the garage keep whistling keep whistling you are welcome in my castle yeah you are welcome here you are our guest of honor mead children, bring my mead children bring forth the fatted cow. we will feast <laughs> oh to the last of the mohicans <laughs> Who shall we burn in honor of you? Well, you know, a lot of the, a lot of things that make those movies so great is, I mean, the music, especially oh, yeah. in the '90s, they knew yeah. how to put make the music. The soundtracks really were better in the '90s. They were much better in the yeah. '90s. They were distinct. Yeah, and they made you. They just made your heart swell. Yeah, you know, at the right time. Yeah, oh, it's so good. I mean, it was so good. You you buy movie scores from movies in the '90s. Yeah, you know, but you don't. I don't buy any '80s movie scores. Yeah, I never not bought really. any 2000, 2002, you know, just, yeah. they weren't as epic. Well, the, the score itself was epic. Yeah, I mean, you have your like iconic examples, you know, or your exceptions to the rule, but most of that stuff in the 80s and 2000s uh, was uh, pop songs. Mm, yeah. And that's what they're known for, you know, like all the John Hughes movies, you know, they're, they have a long list of pop songs that are relevant to the time and now they're, you know, nostalgic. Um, the 2000s are starting to get that way, which shows you how old we are. Yeah, but, but the 90s yeah. really what it was kind of like the 70s. Mm. Uh, how it was like, dude, there are a lot of soundtracks, mm -hmm. orchestral soundtracks. Mm -hmm. Sure, Jerry Goldsmith, James Horner, you know, John Williams, obviously, Basil Pelodorus. Who did he know? do? What uh, Starship Troopers, Robocop. Okay, da -da 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 -da, da -da 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 -da. that's Robocop, and then Starship Troopers is you know. Da -da -da -da. Dun, 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 dun. You know, and they're like doing the dropship thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Remember your training and you will make it. It's so it's awesome. <laughs> it's so just like you know, like the first like two weeks that I had the Tacoma, I just queue up the Clindathu drop song. Nice. Like the one, the five minute song from Starship <laughs> Troopers, you know. And I just be like just just ripping ass around, around town of the Tacoma. <laughs> it's it's such a child. It. I love it. It's so, I love it. Um, Do you ever listen to any movie scores when you're writing? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh my gosh, dude! I have a whole 18-page naval battle chapter in the last book that was purely written off of like the soundtrack to Master and Commander, oh, like nice. the naval battle chapter yes. or the the soundtrack with all the drums. You know, what was the name of that ship that they fought? The French ship, the Ock. The Acheron. Acheron, yes. yeah, which is a, one of the three yes. rivers in the Greek afterlife. Interesting. The River of Sorrows, if I remember correctly. Acheron. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Cool. There's uh there's the River Styx, and then there's mm -hmm. the river. Well, uh, there's the River Styx, which is like the river that leads into it, and then in, inside the afterlife uh, or inside Hades, there's uh, the Acheron, the Phlegathon, and the Caucasus, and uh, and they're all very uh, specific. I wish I could remember. Interesting. Yeah. Acheron. Yeah. Acheron. Yeah. More than so twice good. our numbers, more than twice our guns, and they will sell their lives dearly. <laughs> that is such a good impression, dude. That is so good. <laughs> Three cheers for Lucky Jack. Huzzah! 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 <laughs> <laughs> dude, the movie's awesome. It, it drags a little bit because you're kind of like in the middle, 
um, there's a little bit of a pacing issue, but it's so yeah, yeah. worth it. it. It's it's thank you. You gotta watch it. It's such a great movie. Yeah, and it's a real shame they never made any more of those. That was one of those movies that they really should have done follow up. But I mean, it's so expensive. Like, how do you do that again? Oh, I you know. know. And which books do you choose? I mean, it could have been done, but yeah well we got two left i mean obviously yeah. braveheart's gonna be braveheart we might baby. as well do braveheart yeah yeah actually you know what before we do uh for christian masculinity i'm gonna go with your mom on this one for the patriot my favorite character is the reverend yeah yeah i, I mean i love mel gibson's character because i love mel gibson mm -hmm. you know um but uh but the reverend character is uh everything that we espouse when we talk about like a shepherd defending his flock yep you know yep that line mm -hmm. that was the best line in the movie yeah. and i agree with my mom when uh, heath ledger comes into the church and tries to get people to go with him to fight yeah you know they all go outside of the church and the reverend's following them and they say reverend like where are you one, right? yeah like reverend where are you going yeah and he turns around and he goes a reverend has to tend his sheep and sometimes fight off the wolves yeah god so Biblical mis that, that is that is masculine Christianity at its best. Yeah, you can't write anything That's better. That's what that. it's all about. Let's do Braveheart, but then I have one more for you that I think might even top the Reverend. Okay. So, but let's talk about Braveheart. <laughs> all right, Braveheart. We're both obviously we're both huge fans of Braveheart. Oh yeah, How could because you we're be? you know breathing human beings. <laughs> You know, right. <laughs> dude, if you don't like Braveheart, like, yeah, yeah, you know, you must have like some serious issues. You don't have a soul. I've never met like anybody Braveheart. who doesn't like Braveheart. Yeah, everyone I've never met Braveheart. a single person who, I mean, I met people who have never watched Star Wars intentionally. I met people who don't like superhero movies, you know, but I've never met a single person who doesn't like Braveheart. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Probably because of the iconic ending. Oh, I th yeah. I think b because that whole scene where no matter what, even when his he's strapped to the table and they're yanking his guts out and he's dying a gruesome death, he just wants freedom. Yeah. You know that resonates, and that was back in a time where we all had plenty of it. Yeah, you know, you know, and we were, right. and that's still resonating. It's like, yeah, it I, it's worth dying for. I we would rather happy. die than not yeah, be free. No one really had that thought back then. He's like Scottish Patrick Henry. <laughs> yeah, he really know? was. Well, the thing is, the thing that you should know about the '90s, because most of you who probably are going to see this at some point were probably not, you know, if you were even born before 2001, you know, you probably weren't old enough to remember anything about it truly like before 9 11 there was a different attitude in the country mm -hmm. i'm not saying it was necessarily a better one or even a worse one but it was different none of these everybody felt safe yeah everybody felt content everybody felt well protected now we all still fought everyone you know? was pretty proud to be an american too but people enjoyed being american yeah and the thing was like I mean, you still had the left who would argue about, you know, and, and like make fun of Americans and how, that, that oh yeah, and how like you know fat yeah. and stupid we were and uncultured we were or whatever. And, and you still had the hippies, you know, and you still had the rednecks. Yeah, still, but they, they were still you know, they were jealous. The world was jealous of us back then. So that's yeah. why they talked. But they're not jealous of us. But anymore. there was no cultural discussion about America, America's culpability on the world stage. Yeah. You know, like there had after 2001. After yeah. 2001, that created a real schism. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just, it was a different zeitgeist back then. Yeah. You know, so, uh, so even for, and that really should 
kind of clue you in to how powerful Braveheart was because if Braveheart came out now, it would be like, well, yeah, of course, sure. You know, like you get it now because everybody's talking about this stuff all the time now. Mm -hmm. But back then, no one was talking about it. No one was worried about it. Mm -hmm. And yet still, still, it was a mega hit. Yeah, huge. I mean, dude. I saw it three or four times in the theater. At least. Yeah, at least. Yeah. And it's like a three and a half, four hour movie. Yeah, it's long. Yeah. Long movie. I mean, that that movie did have an intermission, didn't it? It did. Yeah. That in Gettysburg. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Um. Yeah, man. I mean, well, it's such a great movie because it's a guy who had a bunch of bad things happen, still well-adjusted um, and hopeful, optimistic. You know, his, his family dies, so his uncle takes care of him. His uncle trains him, raises him. He goes off. And we're talking about the movie version of William Wallace, obviously. Right, and, right, right. You know, not the historical version. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's a very gladiator-esque story, but... But it's a character who just he's not politically active at all, really. You know, he's just he's just there and he he has to marry his girl in secret, you know, and then they find out about it. And he's trying to live a logos driven life and his wife gets killed for it. And he goes on a vengeance streak, but then he gets caught up in the, you know, in the system Mm -hmm. in the he gets caught in the tidal wave that he kind of created with his authentic fervor. Yeah, his vengeance caused a chain of events yeah. that was going to put a bunch of other people at stake. He took responsibility for that Yeah, and uh, decided to fight a bigger cause than himself, yeah. than his own vengeance. Yeah, willing to die for it. Yep. And knowing when he goes to meet spoilers, you know, for a 28-year-old movie at this point, but uh, knowing when he goes to meet, you know, Robert the Bruce, that, like, this is probably a trap. Mm-hmm. You know, that Robert the Bruce, even though he's our only hope and Robert the Bruce is having a real dark night of the soul and crimes mm-hmm. as a conscience, mm-hmm. you know, knowing that if he goes to meet him, it's yeah, I think one of the characters even says at one point, like, you know, it's a trap, don't you? <laughs> you know, and he's like, yeah, you, you know, mm-hmm. but he does it anyways, because he's still ultimately hopeful in the salvation of his country's soul, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and yeah, and it he suffers a martyr's fate. Yep. I mean, it doesn't there's no happy ending for William Wallace this side of the veil you know in yep. that movie but yep. but it saves the soul of robert the bruce who then in the context of the movie leads them to victory and independence yeah so i mean it's a powerful story. it is powerful yeah yeah i think uh you know the scenes all because some scottish chick took a flower from you mm-hmm. when you were eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> gave you a flower yeah oh yeah gave you a flower yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Comforted you at your mother's grave. And yep. Racist the, history. Yep. Uh, the, the the two iconic scenes, obviously, the one is where at the end where he screams freedom as he's dying. Yeah. And the sweeping music by John Horner. Yeah. That, you know, you can't listen to that and not feel something. Yeah. Uh, and then the other scene is in the at the beginning, you know, at the, before the first battle breaks out and they're all lined up on the battlefield and he's <clears throat> riding his horse up and down the line oh, and soldiers yeah. that are getting ready to, to leave. They're like, we can't win. We're out of here. Yeah, you know. And when he says, uh, "Where you go?" They said, "We're going to go home, and we're going to live." He goes, "All right, you can go, and you and you'll live for a time. Yeah, for a while. Yeah, you know, and many years. But some, yeah, you're going to die someday. Yeah, and you're going to think you're back dying and, in your bed. Yeah, he goes, "Are you going to look back and say 
I wish I just had one, just chance, one chance to look yeah. our enemy in the eye and tell him you can take our lives, but you'll never take our freedom. Yeah, baby. Yeah. yeah. Which is prophetic because that's exactly what happens to him by the end of the movie. <laughs> right. It's exactly what they do to William Moss, and he yeah. proved it. He proved it. He was willing to say that. And he lived up to what he did. And he lived up to it. Yep. He walked what he talked and he practiced what he preached. Yeah. You know, another good example of that this is not the the one that I was thinking of, but another good example of that, uh, and it's got a lot of similarities, is Gettysburg. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about that one. Yeah. Because Gettysburg, another four hour movie made in the 90s with an intermission, with an amazing soundtrack uh, by no one. Um, oh, man. Uh, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. Uh, you know what? I hate to ask this. Will you look up who yeah. I used to know this guy's name? And he's he's never like done anything else. He's not James Horner. He's not uh, he's not uh, John Williams. It's not Graham Revel. Um, anyways, the movie Randy is Randy Randy Edelman. Randy Edelman. E D E L M A N. Yeah. Uh, you have got to listen to the soundtrack. You probably actually heard it in like some uh, World Series games and not even known it um you really? probably yeah they they crib that soundtrack all the time oh wow um but you want to talk about christian masculinity as in a protagonist in a movie kind of the heart of the movie you can't let me guess yeah chamberlain yes okay yeah go. jeff yeah. daniels yeah uh who is an amazing actor who yeah. around the same time did dumb and dumber <laughs> yeah. I mean, dude, it was such a brain screw yeah, yeah no kidding uh, I mean, he did. He also did The Butcher's Wife a little while later. Like, he did a bunch of movies that uh, he's a real actor. I mean, yeah, he's he in, can do it all. He's a real, yeah, he can do it all, baby. And, uh, but he plays Colonel Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain of the, uh, I think the 50th Maine, um, whatever. Battle of Little Round Top. Yeah, Battle of Little Round Top. But the whole, that was, um, and it's explored more in the, in the unfortunately abysmal sequel, Gods and Generals which is a prequel, I should say. Um, but that whole regiment was really, it's one of the few regiments that was like developed to pursue abolition. Hmm. Most regiments were not in the North. The North did not really care about abolition of slavery. Uh, but Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain was an abolitionist. He actually did. And yeah. he's often referred to as like the last crusader. He's one of the last true crusaders, you know, one of the last people willing to preach something and then go out and put his life on the line for it. Mm. And uh, and he did. And he's I mean, every scene with him is it's almost like major winners in Band of Brothers. It's an it, it is just uh, a lecture series in leadership. Yeah. You know, um, when he's up at <clears throat> when he's getting briefed by uh, Colonel Vincent um, or major vincent i can't remember uh up on little round top before the battle you know and and uh vincent tells him like you know this is this is it the enemy can come all the way down but they can't come past here if they come over here then they can sweep behind our lines and they can roll us up you know and then the whole line collapses and which is true it, it's it's a military strategy that goes back at least to the greeks uh of outflank and roll you know and uh, so, <clears throat> I mean, that's why it's so important, you know, and, and he has that. He, it's one of the rare times you get this internal monologue, uh, this uh, um, overdub from uh, Jeff Daniels where uh, you hear his thoughts. It's um, it's very Waterloo-esque. It's very uh, 
De Laurentiis in its production. Hmm. But he says, like, you know, uh, hold to the last. That, that was Vincent's words to him. Hold to the last, Colonel. And he says, hold to the last. What does that mean? You know, last last foot upon ground, last breath, you know, last bullet, you know, and, and he's he's gaming it in his head, you know, and then and they hold and they hold and they resist like three charges yeah. before he redeploys. And, you know, he's got like barely 200 men left, mm. you know, and he redeploys and, and, you know, creates a whole other flank, you know, with half of his line. And he does this brilliant little strategy where he creates this whole other flank where they're trying to flank him now. And as as the Confederates, as our, our brave ancestors uh, are coming up the hill, you know, they're not expecting to run into another flank. So they actually start getting strafing fire mm -hmm. and it actually repels. And then um, and then after that, he orders the bayonet charge. Yeah. And dude. When he like, if when you he don't... screams bayonets, oh, man, it is from the soul. Yeah, it is from the marrow. I wanted to pose. strap up. Yeah, oh, dude. I mean, it's it's every bit as powerful as the Viking prayer in Thirteenth War. Yeah, it's a big and, moment, dude. He sells it, and that is like that is the well, little bit of spittle moment. comes out of his mouth. When yeah, he says and he's it. got it's that so big convincing. Chamberlain, you know, yeah, mustache yeah. thing going on. That's you know, so and good. they're all like sweaty and smoky, you know, and, and they got, you know, soot on them and everything and their uniforms are torn. I mean, it's just it's iconic, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, and that is arguably that's the moment that saved the Union. Yeah. You know, because if he had not done that, the regiment would have overran him. And, you know, you could probably argue, honestly, if we sat down with a Civil War historian, I'm sure they could argue that there are a thousand moments like that across every yep. battle yep. Yep. that ever happened. That was definitely one of them, you know, but that's a man who was willing to go to war. You know, and I say this as a Southern, you know, I mean, we we sing this man's praises as descendants of the other side who yeah. did not think that his side was right. Right. You know, right. But he for himself was a crusader. Yeah. And he was willing to leave his wife and leave his children and go put his life on the line mm -hmm. to go pursue this this crusade that mm -hmm. he thought was righteous yeah. and willing to die for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, all probably the way... thought he was going to. Yeah, probably did in that yeah. moment. Yeah. You probably thought this is the end. I mean, a bayonet charge. Yeah. <laughs> okay. At least we'll have the advantage of moving down the hill. Yeah. You know? So. Doesn't he say that? Yeah. Yeah. At least <laughs> yeah. we'll have the advantage of moving. Find down the thought. positive. Is what right. I, the silver well, that's another thing about a leader. <laughs> they find the silver lining. Mm -hmm. You know. Find the positive. Marines embrace the suck. Yeah. Vikings, you know, laugh when in the laugh face of the fear. Face of, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think any leader. For the people looking up to him, for yeah. what are we gonna do? Yeah. It's completely dark. The the leader always finds a silver lining. Yeah, there's always yeah. a silver lining. That's sort of a that's the beauty. There's never despair. There's always some kind of hope as yeah. long as we take some kind of action. Because you have to give purpose to what you're doing. Right. A leader yeah. doesn't say, "All we can do is just sit here and die." Yeah. Or all we can do is try, and we're gonna die anyway. So okay, there <laughs> we go. You know, that was always a uh, a thing in World War One. That I think Lindy Beige talks about it on uh, on his uh, YouTube channel. How uh, office British officers in World War One? That's where we get the phrase uh, uh, "lions, lions for lambs." You know, hmm. um, uh, the Germans <clears throat> the Germans admired a couple of things about the British officers in World War One, a war that should have never taken place. Um, one was that they uh, they honestly were kind of easy targets because uh, they wouldn't duck. They wouldn't duck when fire came in. Hmm. You know, a British officer is always seen proud and unflinching in the face of the enemy. 
Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was not a good thing to be a British officer necessarily if you wanted to live, you know, like, dude, scary stuff. Um, But and that's where. um, Oh, and then the command was very ineffectual and they would send thousands of their men off to die, you know, and uh, and the Germans would remark, never have we seen, you know, so many lions led by sheep or led by lambs, you know. Yeah, it's a real shame. But I mean, that's another example of it reminds me. It reminds me of what Patton said. He's like, there's a lot of talk about this hitting the deck. He goes, we're not going to be hitting anything. <laughs> you know, we're not going to be lying down. We're not going to be hitting anything except the enemy. We're going to hit them all the time, <laughs> yeah. and we're going to go through them like crap through a goose. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, don't die for your country. Make the enemy die for his. That's right. Yeah, uh-huh. that's right. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'll tell you what. I think my it's probably not my favorite, but I think it's maybe the most accurate representation of christianity uh christian masculinity in movies uh brilliantly written beautiful character but but a supporting role uh david thewlis as the hospitaller from Mm. uh kingdom of heaven yeah um now it's a bit of a cheat because there's a very very strong case that his character is actually an angel interesting dude it's so cool yeah because he, there are all these little moments. He always, he's unflappable. Mm-hmm. You know, he always seems to know what's going on. He seems to be able to do things that no one else should do. He just mm-hmm. sort of appears and vanishes. Yeah. Sometimes he's always got the words of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then the last time you see him, um, uh, Balian asked the main character asks him, uh, you know, where are you going? He says to pray for what. For the strength to endure what is to come, you know, knowing that uh, that the corrupt new king of Jerusalem is going uh, is going to lead them out into what would eventually become the Battle of Hattin, which is one of the biggest disasters, mm-hmm. if not the biggest. Isn't that disaster. in the book How to Lose a Battle? Yes, yes, yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, How to Lose a Battle. Yeah, um, excellent book. Very, very cool. But um, but yeah, it, there's a there's a video actually that really explores the idea on YouTube of whether or not uh, the Hospitaller uh, in Kingdom of Heaven is an angel or not. It makes mm. a very good case for it. But in rewatching that video several times, I just really am reminded of how many of how much I just love all of his scenes. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it really is kind of like what you would imagine interacting with an angel would be like, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't do any grand sweeping gestures of supernatural heroism he doesn't sweep away the enemy with a fiery sword mm-hmm. you know but he's just he's always there to keep you centered and grounded mm-hmm. you know and and to keep you in communion with god and to give you hope mm-hmm. and to remind you of what you're here for and to just keep you on the straight and narrow mm-hmm. that's all he's there for you know and and eventually you know you see uh a scene the last time you technically see him quote unquote is his severed head in a pile, mm. you know, and the aftermath of Hatin. Mm. But, um, but it's an awesome character because he just he has no fear. Everything he says, he says with surety. Isn't that where? And he's a guardian. Is the Battle of Hatin where the movie Prince of Thieves begins? When Kevin Costner is in prison, possibly. I don't remember. Does it say? I um. I don't know because that is set in the time of the Crusades. Now, I think when that movie begins, they are already prisoners. Yeah, yeah, um, they're already prisoners. 
possibly i think now hitin is like a series of hills along a road uh but there might oh. be a I, I don't know there might be a city of oh that may have been the, the fall of jerusalem i'm thinking of the fall of jerusalem oh possibly i don't know yeah anyway yeah and prince of these is another one yeah well you can i mean kind of cheesy you know pick oh, a dude, moment so good oh it is fantastic that movie is so awesome it's fantastic i defy anybody to <laughs> talk trash on prince of thieves <laughs> like it matters <laughs> That movie is so great. I don't care. I don't care that Kevin Costner tried yeah. for the first third with an English yeah. accent and well, then gave up. I don't care that Christian Slater is in it playing Christian Slater. You know, <laughs> I don't care. It's awesome, dude. Whatever. Who's Will Scarlet? <laughs> well, we're getting Christian Slater. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. Peevish. Resent, yeah. Resentment. Where's Charlie Gen Sheen? Xer. He's in jail. Damn. All right. Yeah. Christian Slater. We can't find Charlie Sheen. He went on a, uh, he went on a coke. Christian Slater's bender. over there like, I was born for this role. I was born for this role with his bangs hanging down and his stubble. I'm going to go know? back to 1970, the movie Patton. I'm going to go back to Patton for a yeah. second. Uh, there is, I, he's not an example of masculine Christianity, but there's a scene. Is he in not the, a Christian? I don't think so. Yeah, that's right. Because well, I know he believed in reincarnation. Yeah, he believed in a lot of crazy stuff. Uh, he was uh, undoubtedly the greatest general since Washington. Yeah, uh, yep. but I will. Well, I mean, there's some Civil War generals in there that he admired and learned from. But mm -hmm. uh, there's a scene in the movie, and which is based on a real event uh, before the Battle of the Bulge. Yeah, uh, there was snow coming down that they could not get through. Uh, and, uh, for, it was like Christmas Eve. He called the reverend of the unit. There was like, he had done everything he could. There was nothing else to do. There was no way that he could get through the storm. Yeah. So he called the reverend and said, send out a Christmas card to every troop. And I need you to write a prayer. Yeah. I need you to write a prayer for all of us to pray. Yeah. And the reverend wrote this prayer or no, actually, no, excuse me. Patton wrote the prayer really and told the reverend to pray it <laughs> and then he sent it out with in, in a Christmas card to all the troops oh wow in yeah. you know in his division yeah and cool. by God the snows cleared that night no way yeah and and the next day they began operations wow yeah but it was like here's a man who wasn't necessarily a Christian but he believed in something yeah and he wasn't gonna leave anything any loose ends like okay if there's a God, we need to pray to him. Yeah, sure. And I'm going to tell you exactly him. what to pray. <laughs> <laughs> right. Tell and you it was awesome. It was a great prayer. <laughs> I'm going to tell you exactly what to tell him because this is what I see that we need. I wish you know. I wish I could. Oh, man, I wish I I had it memorized at one time, but it was really good. Yeah. It was basically like, please, you know, um, restrain these. Something about please restrain this weather so that we can march forth and do justice in your name or something like oh, that wow. i can't remember i mean it was really cool yeah like uh, let us be your sword for a righteous cause oh that's awesome you know something to that effect i mean that's the thing that no one wants to this is why i say that like there is such a thing as righteous violence you know and and sometimes you know people put themselves in a position where they make themselves servants of the darkness and and people might be uncomfortable forward and you have yeah. to you have to gut them gut them until the life is out of them i mean what yeah do people Joshua are uncomfortable with that in? term violence but the fact of the matter is you know if you're if that's what protection 
often means. Yeah. That's what saving someone often me means. Physical force. Yeah. Doing whatever you have to do to make the enemy stop and yeah. many in many cases die. Yeah. That is a violent act. Yeah. And sometimes, you know what? God is the judge. He sends judgment on nations. Yeah. And he uses men as his right arm. Yeah. To carry out that justice. Now, yeah. sometimes they know it. Yeah. And sometimes they don't. Yeah. But when they know it, they know that when they apply that violence, that they're not going to do it in a way that They're not the devil's arm. It's yeah. not unbridled. <clears throat> right. It's not. Uh, it's not wrath. bestial brutality. Yeah. Bloodlust. Yeah. It's not bloodlust. Yeah. You know, but they're 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 God's sword. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And if you make enough wrong choices, flagrantly and deliberately. You might be on the tipping point of that sword, dude. I don't you want know? China to be God's sword. Yeah, no kidding. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that in mind, let's go to <laughs> typewriter one-offs. <laughs> yes. Say, so, I think so. When it comes to violence, I think you and I are, we have a lot of similar ideas. Yeah. But uh, people just don't like the term violence. Yeah, I know. Well, it's because, you know, they're just, no one, this is why I want to get John Anderson back on here to talk about this. No one in this country, no one in the first world has any concept anymore on a cultural level no one's talking about it in culture mm -hmm. about how to be a righteous man no one wants to talk about that you're never you're not going to hear it in church mm -hmm. you know jordan peterson will talk about it you know but <clears throat> but look at what they did to him you know mm. i mean it's it's not a popular concept because it's not a safe concept because the powers that be that that control the world the beast system Mm -hmm. You know, the Leviathan that slithers through the waters. It knows that if Adam ever started protecting Eve, the serpent's day is done. Dude, C.S. Lewis was right on point. You know, the best description of masculine Christianity is when Mr. Beaver is talking about Aslan yeah. to the kids. And they, he says, he's a lion. And they're like, he's a lion. <laughs> is he safe? Mr. Beaver says, of course he's not safe, but he's good. <laughs> but he's good. Yeah. And there you go. There you go. That's manhood. Yeah. That's Christian manhood. Yeah. Not safe, but, but good. You're good. Yeah. Don't be a nice guy. Be a good dude. Right. Because masculinity, masculinity is not a man who is masculine is not safe. Yeah. They're a dangerous thing. Yeah. They are a dangerous thing. Yeah. But what makes especially them... a godly man, because then you answer to God and not the government. Mm -hmm. A godly man is also a dangerous man. Yeah. But that is tempered and controlled. Yeah. He is good. Yeah. 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 It's sort of like how I mere Christianity, folks. It's mere Christianity. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it's one of the most important books you could ever read. You know, it's, so it's like good. the Bible and then mere Christianity and then gates of fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, I don't disagree I with mean that. Actually. that. Actually, I genuinely mean that. <laughs> I love it. You know so. what? And and uh, if you're a little more into the uh, nonfiction, read The Warrior's Ethos. Yeah, The Warrior Ethos is so good. So, Oh, man. That is, a, that is an awesome book. I gave that book to 
Joseph, our nephew and our naval nephew. Um, but Pressfield was kind enough to give us each a copy of that yeah. when we got the package in. So I have a signed copy, and I don't care to yeah. brag about it. <laughs> I'm bragging. Yeah. I got a signed copy of that. Can you believe that? What yeah. a wonderful gift! It was a total surprise. It was. Yeah, man, man. So yeah, we're looking forward to him next week. Uh, I don't know how long we'll have him for, but it'll be great. Yeah. By the way, yeah, so. it's gonna be fantastic. Typewriter one-offs. Yes, sir. Let's see who goes first. Right. Oh wait, let me do the thing. Oh yeah got to do the, the header that was awesome that yeah. was a great topic it's fun talking about those that movies. was a lot of fun yeah we always talked about movies we always, we always like, end up kind of talking about yeah. this anyways you know yeah. i think we were largely inspired by our conversation with john anderson yeah so which was a um, great conversation yeah yeah great check movie. it out on rumble and spotify if you're watching this and because i'm sure nick will uh, you know by the time you see this nick will have clips uploaded mm -hmm. uh but the full episode or the full interview and the full live stream will only be available on rumble by the time you see this yep. so uh, okay, rock, paper, scissors. Let's... Here we go. One, two, three, shoot. One, two, three, shoot. One, two, three, shoot. Dang it. Shoot, you got me again. That's two for two. That's good. It's two for two, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, you got me bottom of the hour. You got me this time. All right. Jonathan's two and oh. <laughs> and away we go. Nick with the lead. Oh, man. I've been sucking at rock, paper, Swing, scissors last couple of weeks. <laughs> Swing and a miss. <laughs> Strike two. All right. <laughs> At your leisure. Ah, I'm getting it's so embarrassing. I mean, we've been doing this for a year, and I'm still like, do you still get like? The I shitties? get nerves. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> do you still get the shitties whenever you get ready to read this? I get quivering. <laughs> Get a quiver in my bile. Uh, it's just the starting that's rough, but it once is. I get going, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> This is good. This kind of a little bit of this ties into what we've been talking about, cool. actually. It is forbidden in my home to sing the national anthem. <laughs> Why? Because I don't want my kids to see me get teary-eyed. I don't want them to see daddy cry. I am dead center of middle age now, and I'm noticing that when I'm not angry which is essentially my first gear. <laughs> I'm either loafing about in a state of apathetic numbness or wallowing in a glass full of cold reminiscence, chilled with cubes of depression. The tears come more often, partly because of my age and the season of life being apparent, and admittedly also because of the denigration I understand will be left for my children to navigate when I'm dead and gone. Here's a list of things that make me, and I'm sure many men, cry. Or, if that word cry makes you uncomfortable, let's just say get misty. Let's start with the obvious. Epic movie scores from the 1990s. <laughs> a couple of examples. When Dr. Alan Grant stands up in the Jeep and beholds a living Brachiosaurus or when Mel Gibson, playing William Wallace, screams freedom as he's publicly disemboweled. The music raises and the spirit rises and the heart bursts uh, and the burst heart leaks out through the eyes. What man, tell me, didn't cry or get misty at the end of Braveheart, the first time they experienced it on the big screen? Another thing that puts a lump in my throat is when soldiers return from deployment and surprise their children. I need not explain why. Yeah. Also, when I see photos or videos of my children when they were much littler, 
Yeah. I'm overcome with regret for moments missed, moments that didn't include my presence as I was out chasing the dollar, or didn't include my attention because I was there, but I was buried in a book or admittedly on my phone or computer. Standing at the graves of my parents and grandparents has this effect as well. Though oddly, as I tend to talk to those graves, pouring out my regrets to dead ears that cannot hear, I always walk away comforted, feeling empty and satisfied. Perhaps they do hear and remit with comfort and prayers of their own. And finally, we come to it, the National Anthem. I've gotten teary-eyed at the playing and singing of the anthem for some time. I think it all started when I was old enough to vote and mature enough to actually do so. As I continue to march forth into adulthood, I worked, earned, gave, married, fathered, and contributed. And in doing these things, I became more open-eyed about the liberty to do them. And it's that liberty I see stamped in stars and stripes on our national symbol. It's that liberty inked in quarter notes over staff lines that when played warms the soul, inflames patriotic indignation. It makes me grateful for what measure of liberty I still have. Sorrowful for the sad state we've allowed to prevail over us and righteously angry towards those who work day and night to rip that liberty from our breasts and the tender arms of our children. Gratitude, sorrow, rage, all at once. It is a powerful incantation to sing the national anthem publicly. Many a man will remove their caps or place their hand over their hearts all most likely will stand. And in every one of those hearts burns the willingness to shock the world with bold action. And in every one of those hands lies the readiness to pick up the sword. And when they all stand for the anthem, they stand as one nation under God, united and indivisible. And may God have mercy on their enemies because if pushed too far, those men will not. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Love I got it. a little lump just reading it. Dead gum it. <laughs> Dude, there is there is never a time when the national anthem plays that like I don't get a lump in my throat. Me too. There's it's impossible. Me too. I mean, every it's like if nothing else, unless Shakira's singing it and I'm watching it on TV, <laughs> then I'm like, mm, we can we can skip through this. The national anthem tonight will be played will be sung to you by Bjork. <laughs> Last time yeah. we went to a by Sounds baseball game, <laughs> there was this girl. Uh, who uh, time before last we went to a Sounds game and the girl came out and she was like some instagram country singer that oh, nobody's no. ever heard of uh -huh. so she was dressed apart she took the words out with her to the microphone and she started singing and she still forgot the words and messed it up <clears throat> and i was like what yeah godless and fallen generation you are <sighs> america's dead that's all I got. <laughs> yeah we're dead <laughs> it's over yeah. well it's over here you yeah, go China. Goodbye. yep <laughs> yep goodbye
Well, uh, you must be hitting the old dust trail, said America. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Liberty's just going to walk right off into the sea. You know, but even then, I think even when that girl botched it, there were still moments where seeing so many people stand and so yeah. many, everyone with their hats off and their hands over their hearts and yeah. uh, all feeling the same thing. Yeah. You know, powerful. Yeah. It really, really powerful. Yeah, it is, man. There's, I mean, there's never been a single time when it doesn't move you. And if, and right, just like you say, if it's not for, if it's not for the evocative nature of this singer, you know, then and and even if it's not for the lyrics of the song itself, then it's just for the communal reverence and respect and the the numinous nature of it. I mean, there is mm-hmm. there is something sacred and sacrosanct about that that I don't yeah. think is idolatrous. No, I don't feel an idolatrous bone in my body about that. Um, maybe that's a blind spot. Maybe I'm wrong. But honestly, there is something blessed about it. Yeah, that is just, you know, uh, it's it's very singular, you know, recognizing all the faults, mm-hmm. <clears throat> recognizing all the mistakes, you know, mm-hmm. having our grievances that we have still, you know, this is this is not a thing to tear down. No. You know? And when the whole thing breaks apart, that flag's coming with me. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be my flag. <laughs> yeah, that's my flag, baby. because I'm break yeah. because that represents what, what we're doing want. yeah what we yeah it yeah, doesn't represent we're what we're leaving yeah mm-hmm. that's that represents what we're taking with us it only dies when you bury it yeah when you, you give know? us that you can have your hammer and sickle <laughs> yeah yeah you can have your you know you know what we need to take back we take back the rainbow flag <laughs> dude that's about you know what that's about that's I mean, about god promising not to destroy the world with a flood that's about Noah, that's about starting over. That's about killing Nephilim is what that's about. <laughs> yeah. That's what a if finger that in the eye of the fallen. What if that became like a war flag against, <laughs> against the Neo-Nephilim? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can turn that around is what I'm saying. You know? yeah. I'm down. God's bow in the sky. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Here we go. Get it on. Yeah. I specifically request. Oh, I think it's backwards. There we go. I can't can't oh, have man. that because I know you can tell when you watch. And for all our fans on Spotify. Oh man. You know, I got the I got the Abe Lincoln costume on. I got the pit vipers on. Oh man, we're getting Yeah, that's right, Shelby. Shelby's groaning in the corner. That's a good girl. She's like, oh yeah. my god. Uh, here we go. <laughs> Shelby, the dog is like, if I take a massive dump right now, can we avoid all of this? Because however mad However bad it is that dad, that master dad is mad at me, that human is mad at me for, it's going to be less painful than what I'm clearly about to endure as a bystander. So, anyway. Please don't take a massive dump. Shelby. I beg you. She's, she's too lazy. She's, she's tired. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's like dog. it's after 11 for us. So Oof. she's ready for bed. Is it really? Yeah, it's late, dude. Dead gum. Yeah, we've been Dead we've been a long time we've been killing it. Today. I'm surprised we're not in potato cam after party. Uh, that should be any second. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. All right, here we go. Hey, Blinken says, <laughs> "Do what you want as long as it doesn't impugn upon the rights of anyone else." Hey, Blinken says, "Your property is yours to own until you decide to sell it tax free." 
Hey, Blinken says all elected officials are required to have term limits not exceeding 10 years. Hey, Blinken says the Constitution is non-negotiable as well as the amendments to the Bill of Rights. Hey, Blinken says all elected officials have to return to their home constituency. Hey, Blinken says sales tax only, henceforth. <laughs> hey, Blinken says taxation is only is only present to fund roads, water, stronger borders, and the military. Hey, Blinken says any elected official caught abusing their power is to be executed. <laughs> hey, Blinken says you are free to kill anyone who trespasses onto your property after a warning or keep them as a slave. <laughs> or the government will execute them. Hey, Blinken says... Yes. All schools are to be privatized include, uh, according to the municipalities' budgets of their local communities. The church may supplement. Hey, Blinken says... There is no restriction upon the First or Second Amendments, and it is subject to, and any violations is subject to life in prison or execution, regardless of office. Hey, Blinken says, any elected official caught violating their oaths is subject to confiscation of their wealth and redistribution to their community, excommunication of their families, and execution. Hey, Blinken says, other nations can suck it. America first. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Blinken says, no foreign entity shall hold investment power in U.S. borders. So good. Hey, Blinken says, reduced rates or sa on sales will be granted to those, or excuse me, reduced rates on sales taxes will be granted to those who pursue self-sufficiency, such as vegetable gardens, livestock, homesteading, and other means of self-sustaining provision. There you go. Hey, Blinken says, be cool. Don't start none, and there won't be none. <laughs> Four more years. Four more years. <laughs> oh. Goodbye, hey, Blinken out. <laughs> hey, Blinken out. <laughs> oh, that was so good. That's like the Libertarian Manifesto. Uh, right. Yeah. Hey, Blinken. <laughs> Candidate for U.S. President. <laughs> My name's Hey Blinken, and I approve this message. <laughs> I gotta figure out who his VP would be. Oh man, yeah, get him. I don't know. Yeah, we gotta come up with a good VP. I'll be your VP. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And I'll just be over here like, yeah, 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 like that Chappelle skit. Yeah, <laughs> where it's where it's like Chappelle is like president. You know, and, and he's just got like the guy off to the side, the short guy who's just like eating chicken wings. So I was like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> do, that, do that last line. Again. Do that last line again. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. What's that last line on your on your oh. one off? Hey, Blinken says, be cool. Don't start none and there won't be none. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Solid, <laughs> solid, <laughs> solid. Yeah. I think that did I come from a uh, from like a manifesto that I probably shouldn't even be telling people that I wrote a manifesto. No, all those things are very common sense. Yeah, you think, right? Yeah. I mean, dude. I mean, if you want to fix the problem, you gotta, you gotta. Well, there are solutions that just aren't politically acceptable ones. <clears throat> yeah. Yep. No. This is. But that doesn't say that doesn't mean 
there there can't be some sort of solution. Yeah. Perhaps you might say a final solution. <laughs> that perhaps I was thinking perhaps? more I was thinking something more as a line of a peaceful divorce. <laughs> they will balkanize the United States into separate territories. Perhaps regions. if we perhaps if we built a series of camps. <laughs> And we could teach people. Does anybody want to go camping? Yeah. Does anybody want to go camping? Does anybody enjoy the good outdoors? Yeah. Yeah, we have showers. <laughs> we have showers and we will get you there by train. Yes, and we will we will take you there. The transportation is free. <laughs> you know? You do not have to participate in this capitalist system anymore. We will provide the train for yours mm-hmm. to this happy summer camp. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you may you may learn all sorts of new skills there. <laughs> You will learn For example, skills. did you know that your that your shoe soles are edible? <laughs> it might come in handy. It's all I'm saying. <laughs> it's coming to camps. <laughs> oh, we shouldn't talk about that. Yeah, I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> I know. But I will say, and I'm not going to use any buzzwords, but mm-hmm. I will say that a lot of people are uh, bemoaning the state of Australia. But the yeah, fact of the matter bad. is, it's really rough. But the people are fighting back. Are they? Good. They're fighting back. I have not had time to look at the news. Yeah. Uh, for a week I mean, now. they let it get to that state. Yeah. But they're they're at least they're standing up for themselves. Are the people good? are standing up for themselves. Good. Yeah. Rise up, prison colony. That's right. Mm-hmm. Time to dig into your roots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, that's good. So, all right. Well, you want to wrap this up? Yeah. Let's wrap her up, man. Cool. Well, that's it for this episode, guys. We hope you really enjoyed it. It was a great conversation. We had a good time making this one. If you like this show, give us a good review. Leave us five stars, and please tell your friends about it. That is the best way you can support us. We look forward to seeing you guys again next week, and join us for the live stream so you can participate in the live chat. We have some great guests lined up. Have a great week. Well, that's it for this episode, guys. We would love it if you tell your friends about the show. Maybe leave us a good review. And also consider becoming an honorary Gosling. An official exclusive membership to the Gosling gets you exclusive access to interviews and conversations that we can't have on YouTube. Plus, you'll get free digital downloads of some of our books and excerpts and writing. Uh, Also, and check this out, you get to participate in a live monthly Discord chat with us. Uh, We do this once a month now. Um, All this plus more if you join our community on Patreon for just $5 a month. I mean, that's nothing. $5 a month, it's a cup of coffee. So go to patreon.com forward slash the goslings and sign up today. Thanks for listening. Now go forth and strike down the darkness.